Case is submitted. We'll hear argument next in number 891474, McDermott Mr. Doyle, you may proceed whenever you're ready. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the case before you today involves a question of statutory interpretation, specifically who is entitled to sue for damages under the Jones Act. That section, which is also known as the Merchant Marine Act of 1920, provides a right of action to a seaman who is injured in the course of his employment. The term seaman is not defined further in the body of the statute, and it has been the subject of much debate. This case also provides an opportunity for the Court to reestablish and reaffirm a uniform national rule. The last definitive opinion reached by this Court was 33 years ago, and since that time there have been two divergent tracks which have been taken from that opinion, even though it was clear. One group of circuit courts decides seaman status questions based on an analysis, at least in part, of the subject seaman's relationship to the transportation function or the navigation function of the vessel. The Fifth Circuit, particularly among the others, does not take this into consideration, at least not in the same way. This has led to an inconsistency of results throughout the country and needs to be addressed. This case particularly draws that line for the Court because, in this case, there is little question in the Fifth Circuit so found that Mr. Willander, the seaman, the person claiming status under the Act, had no responsibilities relative to the vessel to which he claimed status, which were related to its transportation or navigational function. It also presents a contrast for the Court because, as a matter of first principle in this case, the district judge was forced to decide what was American law because the plaintiff's invocation of the Jones Act required it since he was injured in a foreign environment. He was injured on a platform in the Persian Gulf. May I ask a preliminary question for my information? Yes, Justice O'Connor. Is there a general maritime negligence action which the respondent could have brought? No, not in this case, Your Honor, because the person who he was bringing suit against would have been his employer. And except for the Jones Act's derogation from the general common law, there would be no action against his employer for the general maritime negligence. Now, may I also ask you what difference you think it makes whether Mr. Willander aided in the navigation of the vessel? If a person who lives and works aboard ship, why isn't that person just as much a member of the crew, as it were, as someone who aids in navigation? I think that the concept of aid to navigation has always been considered as a degree of the permanency of the attachment between the worker and the employer's vessel. But not a necessary concept. Well, the Fifth Circuit says it's not necessary, but the other circuit courts seem to say that it is. And it's particularly... And we haven't spoken to the issue? You have spoken to the issue many times. The last time definitively in Cinco v. La Crosse dredging, which reemphasized the aid to navigation requirement. And I believe, Justice O'Connor, following up with your question, it must be at all times considered when reviewing the Jones Act that it is an employment-based statute. It's a statute which depends on the reasonable expectations of the employer 
and the employee. In this case, McDermott International would have been perfectly justified in believing that an employee such as Mr. Wielander, who is a painter foreman operating on platforms in the Persian Gulf, would be more exposed to those types of hazards and risk associated with platform work than he would have been with the perils of the sea. And I should make one further point in response to Justice O'Connor's question. Mr. Willander did not live aboard the vessel to which he claims attachment for purpose of his Jones Act claim. Would you comment on, on the facts a little bit to that extent? Yes, yes. Um, I guess he slept, ate, and planned his activities aboard the barge DB-9? That is correct, Your Honor. He did. Uh, and he participated with respect to the Gates Tide, the American vessel, uh, by using it as a means of transport to and from the areas in which he did his work. You concede that he was a member of the crew of DB-9? Uh, no, I don't, because he's not a member of the crew of that vessel any more than he is of the Gates Tide, since he did not contribute to the transportation or navigational function of the DB-9. Assuming the we think that's an essential exactly test, so. which the Fifth Circuit does not. Exactly so. But this Court's opinion in Cinco versus Lacrosse dredging is relevant because the DB-9, when it performs its work, you'll find from the record, is frequently tied up to a platform. It's not mobile. It stays in place and in position and serves as a floating hotel. Uh, and in this Court's opinion in Cinco, this quotation is found. The duties of a man during a vessel's travel are relevant in determining whether he is a member of the crew while the vessel is anchored. Well, t take a vessel different than the one we're talking about here, Mr. Doyle. Uh, how about the mess crew on the vessel or people who are just there to repair in case things goes wrong? Are, are they not seamen under your definition? I think the mess crew certainly is, uh, is composed of seamen, Your Honor, because they serve the vessel, Mr. Chief Justice, in its use as a vessel as opposed to something which has another mission. So they don't have to participate in the actual steering of the ship ship, then. Exactly. Uh, uh, and that would be true of repair people, too? Well, repair people present a special problem because, of course, ship repairs are specifically identified under the L&H Act, and it could be that under some circumstances they would be covered there and not under the Jones Act. But if they're brought along on a sea voyage specifically for the purpose of conducting those repairs to the engines or the appurtenances of the vessel, which are required during its voyage, they are aiding that vessel in its navigation every bit as much as the master. How about the dance instructor and the bartender on the love boat? They also, Justice O'Connor, aid in, aid in the function of the vessel for a different reason, though, perhaps. Are they covered? I think they are covered, but perhaps for a different reason. The analysis that I've made of, of those types of activities in the brief is one which points out that the, that, that the cruise ship engages in maritime commerce, and part of its business is to transport passengers from one place to another and to keep them entertained during the, purpose, during the, ves during the vessel's uh, journey. Since they do, they perform a necessary function of the vessel in maritime commerce, which is no different from that performed by the fishermen who are on the fishery ship or the cook who is represented on the tugboat which, uh, which plies the waters around Manhattan. Do you think, do you think your, the Seventh Circuit agrees with your view? Um, I think they do, Justice White, although they Really? That all, all you need to do is, uh, is to contribute to the function of the vessel in navigation? It doesn't sound like the Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. No, sir. It doesn't sound like their opinion, but, but I approach it this way, Justice White. I, I think that the opinion that was reached by the Seventh Circuit in Johnson was based upon a particularized circumstance, a person who was working aboard a structure which under Title I, Section 3 would have been a vessel, but reached a point in his life when it was not. And that's when this particular individual in Johnson did his work, was when the vessel was, was no longer a Jones Act. Well, let me... How do you differ, then, with the Fifth Circuit? I differ in this way. Uh, 
The Fifth Circuit says that your connection with a vessel as a putative seaman is relevant if you are connected only to those activities which are conducted aboard the vessel when it's stopped. There's not a case that I've seen in the Fifth Circuit, which is primarily in the oil field area, which, which holds that a function which is being performed by a person who is a seaman on a non-traditional vessel is performed while the vessel is in motion or truly within navigation. Uh, Mr. Wielanders is a case in point. The Gates Tide is a vessel. It's a 185-foot crew boat. But Mr. Wielander didn't have anything to do aboard that vessel until it was moored to the platform. Likewise, do you, the crew do you take one. the position he was simply in the position of a passenger aboard the Gates Tide? I do, Justice Do you go Sir, that I, far and say do. he's just a passenger? Well, he is just a passenger who is there in an employment-related function. In that sense, I would say... He's su- also an employee. He's an employee, not of, the, not of the master of the Gates Tide, but an employee of McDermott International, which had chartered it. But, but further to your question, Justice O'Connor, I would submit that Mr. Wielander's employment-related connection with respect to the Gates Tide is no, is no different in any material degree from a legal secretary who works in a Manhattan law firm and lives on Staten Island and rides the ferry to work every day. Did the employer own all these vessels, the Gates Tide and, or lease, uh, the Gates Tide and the DB-9? The employer owned the DB-9. a group of vessels in effect? There were a group of vessels there, yes. Well, maybe we should look at whether he's attached to, quote, a group of vessels. Well, is that a possibility? That is a possibility. However, in this case, it presents special problems because not all of the vessels to which he could have been attached were American. The DB-9, as I've told you, was Panamanian, and actually the Gates Tide, which was only there for five days during the 15 months that Mr. Wielander was employed, was the only American vessel that was on the job. Well, uh, uh, what, about a, uh, what about a fishing boat? Uh, they're going to go whale hunting, and they take along a guy that knows how to spear whales. He, hasn't, he doesn't do anything in the vessel. He just rides, and all of a sudden, they see a whale, and he harpoons it. Now, uh, he certainly is the, uh, the, the... He is performing the entire mission of the vessel. He, they want to get a whale. And this fellow involved in this case, the whole reason for this for this ship he's on is uh, to go around and tie up and let the fellow paint. Just like instead of harpooning a whale, he's, he's doing some painting, which is the only reason that vessel runs around. Justice White, I appreciate the opportunity to finish my answer to your earlier question. The distinction here is that the fisherman who is looking for the whales is performing a mission of the vessel which is engaged in maritime commerce. Not so, Mr. Wheatliner, because the mission that he's performing is solely and strictly oh, so related to the so platform. So, so, uh, uh, so if this fellow had been, uh, while the boat was, that he was, his, the boat where he was living and operating, if he had been hurt on the way, uh, would he have been a seaman? No, sir, I think not, but perhaps... Well, he would have been in navigation. The vessel would have been in navigation. He would have been, and, and his being carried... To uh, do his mission uh, is certainly part of uh, the boat's mission. I think this, Justice White, I think that he has to form an attachment to the vessel which is employment-related in scope and in content. And to restrict restrict that, as the Fifth Circuit does, not to restrict it, rather to broaden it, as the Fifth Circuit does, and to say that we are going to consider your attachment to the special mission as satisfying all requirements of status under the aid to navigation test is inconsistent with what this court has ever said. I don't, I don't understand your answer to Justice White's question about the harpooner on, on a whale boat. Why, why is the respondent Willander different? 
Well, uh, you, you added the one wasn't in maritime commerce, exactly. but th th that's simply adding on something to the mission of the ship that I hadn't understood from your previous definition. Well, in, in my brief, Mr. Chief Justice, I have taken pains to point out that the Jones Act's outer limits is going to be defined in some way uh, as what maritime commerce is covered and engaged in by the vessel. And I, I suggest in my brief that part of the reason why the Robeson opinion of the Fifth Circuit has lost its well, can't, support. Well, can't you answer the question any, any more shortly than that? I'm sorry. I, I believe that the whaling vessel is different from a vessel which is going from platform to platform and after it arrives is not engaged in maritime commerce, while the whaling vessel is at all times engaged in maritime commerce. Well, that still doesn't, that, that still doesn't get to why. Uh, you mean just because the vessel is stopped and tied up? He's, he suddenly changes from a seaman to a non-seaman. No, sir. He never he never attained the status as seaman in the first place. The, the whaling well, vessel did. What if he was? What, what's the difference? What's the difference? Why does one obtain it and the uh, attain and the other doesn't? For one thing, Mr. Chief Justice, in the real world, the person who is the whale spotter on the vessel is going to have other duties, and he is going to form that type of permanent attachment that, that, to the that vessel which is related to that. Navigation. Wasn't in my hypothetical. No, sir. All he did, his only job on the on that ship is to is when they get in whale territory to get up there and look and be ready. Mr. Well, Mr. Doyle, what if it was, uh, what if it was uh, uh, seals instead of whales? Uh, seals. Would, would that have been the difference? I mean, if, if they had gone out hunting seals, they had to get off the ship in order to harpoon the darn thing, then he wouldn't be a seaman. That's right. But he would if he goes for whales. Is that the difference? Well, in the, in the case involving the, the seal clovers, which is in the respondent's right. Point, I believe that the distinction there between their case and mine is uh, that those people performed the mission, the only mission that the vessel had to do, which was in maritime commerce. The only way they could perform it was to engage in that type of activity. Well, but it's Therefore, the same here. If, if somebody's on a boat that does nothing but carry people to paint, I mean, that's, that's the boat's mission. This other boat carries people to, to harvest seals. Well, as I've said, Justice Scalia, I think that the aid to navigation requirement at its base is an, is an indicator, one of perhaps more than one, uh, of the connectivity between the seaman and the vessel itself. The people who are engaged in a voyage which has several points of terminus, such as the seal clovers, could be more attached to the vessel for another reason, not having anything to do with aid to navigation. But Mr. Wheelinder is different because he only used this boat to go back and but forth from his... You, you see, you're giving two separate answers, it seems to me. Maybe I misunderstand you. But I, I thought it, it first was that the boat that Mr. the Wallander was on, uh, he did nothing till he got, till it stopped and he was there to paint. And they, he, then he painted. Uh, but but not, not, there's something more to your answer than that? Well, it, it is, Mr. Chief Justice, in response to, Mr., to Justice Scalia's question, because I believe that the... Uh, the vessel that was involved in the case that was hunting for seals was more had a more all-encompassing voyage. The, the people actually formed a member. Well, but now, is that a requirement under under the under this act we're talking about that it, it have a more all-encompassing voyage? Well, it is a requirement that the seaman, the person seeking status under the act, have a permanent attachment to the vessel. And I suggest that the, that the attachment in the seal clubber case is more permanent than Mr. Wheelinder's because he only used this vessel for limited purposes, to go back and forth to the platforms on which he did his work. Well, he lived on it, didn't he? No, sir, not on the vessel to which he claimed oh. attachment. He lived on the DB-9. Yeah, and, right. and that's another problem, Justice White, because yeah. the jury actually found him connected permanently to two vessels. Mr. Doyle, um, are we here reviewing uh, a sufficiency of the evidence claim? Is the issue we have to weigh whether there was enough evidence 
that he was a member of the crew to let this question go to the jury? Well, I, I think not, Justice O'Connor, because in this case, it is going to be controlled exclusively by what the court would have decided was relevant evidence. The court decided in this case that it was relevant for the jury to consider on the permanent attachment question, uh, Robeson-type evidence, uh, and if it had been in the Seventh Circuit, that evidence would not have been relevant, so the jury wouldn't have had it. So it's not a sufficiency of the evidence question. It's a whether the evidence was relevant at all. Exactly. What evidence? The evidence of his attachment to the special mission, which he alleged was performed by this vessel, by the paint boat, as opposed to transportation and navigation function. Mr. Doyle, let me recap something which will at least explain why I'm not following what you're saying. Uh, you started off with a criterion that the, uh, uh, that the seaman must be somehow engaged as an aid to the navigational function of the ship. Then Justice O'Connor raised the question, what about the bartender and the, and the dance instructor? And you said, well, they qualify because uh, they're not steering uh, or doing anything like that, but it's the, it's the object of the ship's uh, passage through the water to engage in, in recreational activities which they are aiding. Then we got to the question uh, of, the, uh, of the harpooner or the seal harpooner, uh, and the problem that you had with including the seal harpooner was that the ship was not moving at the time he harpooned, uh, and that the harpooning was not, as I understand it, an act in furtherance of, the, uh, of, of maritime commerce. And I think the trouble, at least, that I'm having is understanding what you mean by maritime commerce. Uh, in, in the case of the bartender and the dance instructor, uh, the, uh, the, the ship is at, at least part of the time moving around because that's the way it makes its money, by carrying people. Uh, and the reason they want to be carried in the ship includes the fact that they would like to avail themselves of dancing and, and the drinking that goes on the ship. Uh, in the case of, of that we have before us, uh, the, the boat in question has got to move through the water uh, or, the, or the, uh, the petitioner here, the, the respondent here, doesn't get to the platform. And it's certainly doing it for a commercial purpose because that's why they're paying people to move the ship, is to get in there so he can do the painting. Why is there not a connection to maritime commerce? Uh, in the latter case, uh, but there is a connection to maritime commerce for the bartender. We're, I think we're asking for that definition. What is maritime commerce and how do you defend the distinction that you're making? Justice Souter, specifically, I will refer to Justice Harlan's dissent in the Cinco case because I think it clarifies it. He said you look to the service of the vessel in its use as a vessel. Uh, the bartender and the cruise ship dance instructor serve that vessel in its use as a vessel. They complement its only reason for being. Not so Mr. Wielander in his case, because he does nothing with respect to the navigation of the vessel. He only has responsibilities which occur off the vessel, which happen when the vessel's tied up. Yeah, but it's the only reason the ship, that, that boat even moves. Well, the object of his work is the only reason that the vessel Well, that's, that's him. Yeah. And, and he does much of his work from the vessel, does he not? He, Actually, the facts, I believe, will show Mr. Chief Justice that he supervised and he stationed himself on the vessel most of the time, except when he was inspecting the work on the platform. Well, why did you th say that he does most of his work off the vessel? Because the, the object of his work is off the vessel. He has to inspect the work that his painting crew has done, and that takes place on the platform. If, 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 he, were, if, he, if he lived on this boat and uh, it went out to paint other boats 
regularly, would you agree that he was a seaman? Uh, I would agree that the degree of permanency that is that that made up his attachment to that vessel would be different in character than it is well, here. But uh, then, uh, does that bring you out to answer my question, yes or no? I would not agree that he's a seaman, no, sir. I think even, even though he lived on this boat, this this boat that did nothing but paint other boats, and they it painted other boats regularly, he still is not a seaman. I don't believe he is, and I don't believe this court has so held in Cinco and the other cases. And why is he not a seaman? Because he doesn't contribute, as this court has said, to the navigational function of that vessel. He contributes only to Although the Although whale harpooners do. Yes, sir. But seal harpooners don't. <clears throat> well, I didn't actually say that, Justice Scalia, and I think that they could well in the context of the voice for the reasons that I've stated. If there are no further questions of the court, Mr. Chief Justice. Just one. Yes. You referred to Justice Harlan's dissent in the Senko case. Yes, sir. Do you think we have to overrule the Senko case in order to sustain your position? To sustain our position, no, sir. I think Senko is very consistent with what the court had done before because Senko did consider the navigational activities of the subject worker to determine whether he, was, whether he had status or not. And very pertinent to our discussion here, Justice Stevens, they said he would have had a significant relationship to the navigation of the vessel when it went into navigation. That's the same thing that, that this court had a, a per curiam opinion, Gene Fowler versus Texas Company, reversed a Fifth Circuit opinion. It was assumed by the Robeson panel that they had some impact on oil drilling activity being maritime commerce, but also that particular worker in the Gene Fowler case did the same thing. It was a semi-submersible rig, and his job included a responsibility that he moved. So this court has never moved off the requirement that a person aid in the navigation of a vessel before he is considered to be a member of its crew. And it's never adopted the broader test that Robeson uses to determine the attachment. Have we ever passed on the uh, bartender dance instructor example? Uh, no, sir, you haven't, but the argument in Cinco, I think, was advanced against their obtaining status, and it was met by Justice Harlan in the fashion that I've described. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Thank you, Mr. Durrell. Mrs. Bercier? Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. As this Court stated only a few weeks ago in the Admiralty case of Miles versus Apex Marine, we do not sail today in uncharted waters. Since the passage of the Merchant Marine Act in 1915, Congress has provided us with six indicia of their approval of the mission seaman's test for status used in the Fifth Circuit and in the overwhelming majority of Admiralty courts in this nation. As the Court noted in Miles, sir... There aren't too many of them, right? There are 11 circuits, I count, that... Uh, How many? Five, six? There are, there are 11 circuits, and I count everybody except the 7th and the 4th right. aligned with the 5th Circuit. I did find admiralty decisions in all of them. Some of them don't have very many, Your Honor. Yeah, right. As the Court noted in Miles, such policy decisions by Congress are to be given their appropriate Great. weight right. in decisional law since it is by this means that Congress indicates the sphere within which its policy is to have effect. As Petitioner noted, the term seaman was not defined in the Merchant Marine Act, so our first indicia of the correct construction to be given to this term must come from an examination of the meaning given to it by courts of that era. We would refer the Court to some of the most important decisions of the era discussed more fully in our brief and that of Amicus American Trial Lawyers, including the Ocean Spray, Sailor versus Taylor, which is the Seal Clubber case, the J.S. Warden involving a bartender written by Judge Learned Hand, 
The Minna and the Murphy Tugs, written by Judge Brown, who later, as Justice Brown, would sit on this court and author the Osceola, and the Buenaventura, cited by this court in the first three cases to discuss Seaman's status, Warner v. Goltra, Norton v. Warner, and South Chicago Coal Company v. Bassett. As uh, Bercier, yes, ma'am. Uh, in in the, the Norton case, yes, the ma'am. court spoke about a seaman having uh, needing to have a permanent connection with yes, ma'am. a vessel. Yes, ma'am. Now, how do we find that with the gates tied here? This this respondent lived aboard the DB9, did he not? Yes, ma'am. He did live aboard the DB-9, and this goes back to your question earlier about a fleet of vessels. He lived and planned his activities aboard the DB-9. He would then be... So under under Norton and your argument, you would say at least he's a member of the crew of the DB-9. Yes, ma'am. But that's not the basis of of his claim. I just he has to, because it's registered only the gates tied as a U.S. vessel, he has to um, win or lose on the basis of his attachment to the gates tied? That is how Petitioner has characterized that. I don't agree with that conflict of laws interpretation. The DB-9 was owned by a company with its principal place of business in New Orleans, Louisiana. Well, how do we, how do we have to take this case? I thought the jury found separately that he was a member of the crew of three different vessels. They found they were a member of the crew of the DB-9 and the Gates Todd. All right, two. Yes, ma'am. And if we think he was not a member of the crew of the Gates Todd, what do we do here? Because this other question isn't here, is it? No, Your Honor. The certiorari was not granted. In fact, that was certiorari was applied for on that mm-hmm. issue and not granted. Right. I feel that uh, if the so, court, that would be the end of the case. If we think he, there wasn't enough here to make him a seaman of the gates tied, that's it. Well, of course, I think you can still affirm the Fifth Circuit in this case. I think what this case is about is. Are we going to choose between the Fifth Circuit rule and the Seventh Circuit rule? I think that's really the issue before the court. And the court referred to, Justice O'Connor referred to the Norton case. Norton says specifically that navigation, as that term is used in the aid to navigation test, is not limited to putting over the helm, but includes duties essential for other purposes of the vessel. The plaintiff in Norton was on a vessel that never went out to sea. So was the plaintiff. Well, even if we think that's true, isn't there this element of whether uh, he has to be permanently attached to the vessel? Okay. Permanent attachment is the requirement. Here he was just hauled around for a few days on the gates tide. Is that right? He was assigned to the uh, gates tide for this particular hitch, and this has been a, a rule which has developed in the Fifth Circuit due to the fleet of vessels concept where employees are required to work on different vessels. And we have found that uh, he has that degree of permanent attachment if he is performing for that period of his work a substantial portion of his work aboard the gates tide. That Does the Fifth Circuit re- rely on this theory that you're expounding and answer Justice O'Connor's question? That wasn't part of the issues before the court when we decided the... Uh, okay, can you answer my question, yes or no? I'm trying to remember, Your Honor. No, Your Honor. 
It didn't. So you're not really defending the, the reasoning of the Fifth Circuit in this case? As to the permanent attachment yeah, question? Or, as, to, as to whether he was attached to a group of vessels? No, Your Honor. I don't think the Fifth Circuit relied on the fleet of vessels concept at all. I think the Fifth Circuit concluded that the evidence was sufficient that he was a member of the crew of the Gates Tide. You're not defending that. Is that it? Oh, sir? Are you you defending that or not? Yes, I am. I'm asking the court to affirm the Fifth Circuit, finding that he was a crew member of the Gates Tide. I thought you were asking that that perhaps we could uh, affirm for another reason, that he was a member of of a... He was a seaman uh, in terms of a whole group of vessels. No, Your Honor, that question was brought up as to the degree of his permanency of attachment. But I feel that we need to affirm in this case based on the fact that he was a seaman as to the gates tie. Mrs. Bercier, could you tell me how um, how your theory uh, excludes or does it exclude uh, the uh, the instance uh, um, posited by Mr. Doyle of a secretary who takes a Staten Island ferry uh, to work? The lady who takes the Staten Island ferry to work does not contribute to the mission of the vessel. It's very simple. If there is an analogy to be drawn in the, or to the Staten Island ferry, it's to the man aboard the Staten Island ferry who directs the cars where to park. But if, so it would be different if her employer provided a boat whose only mission was to bring those employees from Staten Island uh, to Manhattan. No, I don't think so. Why not? That would be the sole mission of the, ba- of, of, of the vessel, just as here the sole mission is to bring painters to the, uh, uh, to the platform. But she would not be contributing to that mission. And the mission of yes, the she vessel... Yes, she would. She, she does the work uh, just as he does the painting. She does the secretarial work. It's, it's the whole purpose of the boat, to get the employees to do the work. Well, Your Honor, I think that's a, a broad interpretation of seaman status, and I won't argue with it if you want to hold that that would make She's her a seaman. She's a seaman, too. I'll make her a seaman, too, if you want uh-huh. Okay. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I'm you sorry. speak so that we can all share in your response yes, to the ma'am. questions? Thank yes, ma'am. You, you, will, you will acquit her that status even though the, the vessel is not paying her a salary and no one is paying her a salary to be on the vessel? Well, Justice Scalia would accord her that status. Well, I want to know what you would do. I would require her to contribute to the mission of the vessel. I'm not quite sure about the hypothet if she is performing, if the vessel has any connection other than transportation to and from her employment. If, if she is actually... I thought it was just getting her from Staten Island over to Manhattan. Mm-hmm. You'd make her a seaman there? No, Your Honor, I don't think she would be a seaman. The Fifth Circuit has held that, that employees that are transferred to and from work sites where the boat does not have anything to do with their duties are not seamen. The important distinction in this case is that all the air compressor and hoses were kept aboard the gates tide at all times, and they remained upon the gates tide, and the crew pulled the hoses up on the platform to perform the work. So the vessel itself was essential to performing the painting functions. The uh, 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 seaman was actually being paid to be on the boat yes, uh, to do his work. Yes, sir, he was. That's absolutely correct. Did, did the members of the crew of the Gates Tide do their painting while they were on the Gates Tide? Mr. Wielander, as I understand the facts, Mr. Wielander and at least one other employee would stay on the vessel to operate the machinery, the air compressor and the hoses. There would be other members of the crew up on the platform doing the painting. 
and he would also conduct his supervision supervision from the vessel itself. So the, the Gates Tide would not have accomplished its mission if it had simply dropped these people off on the boat and, and gone back? Absolutely, Your Honor, and that's why it's designated as the paint boat for that purpose. I would like to address the question of, uh, raised by the court as to what is maritime commerce. Maritime commerce is business performed from a vessel. I don't think that Herb's welding uh, can be made to stand for the proposition, as Petitioner argues, that all field and related activities are not maritime commerce. They are maritime commerce when they are performed from a vessel in this case. I would like to also point out that adoption of the Seventh Circuit test for status would create a huge gap in coverage for thousands of offshore workers who are required to face the perils of the sea as incident to their employment. The Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act, by its own term, does not apply to those aboard vessels. And as explained earlier, the statutory definition of the term vessel at 1 USC, C, USC 3 includes all watercraft used in transportation or capable of being used in transportation. Therefore, it would include all of the floatable special purpose craft engaged in offshore mineral production. If a worker on the outer continental shelf aboard one of these structures is not a seaman, he will be left with no remedy because the Lands Act will not provide him with compensation, nor can state workmen's compensation laws be applied extraterritorially. How in about workers on the platform itself out there in the Gulf? If How they are, are they covered? If, if they're they not are, seamen? If they're on the outer continental shelf, they are covered... No, I said in the Persian Gulf. Oh, in the Persian Gulf. That's right, on a platform in the Persian Gulf. What covers that worker? The Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act does not cover him. Louisiana State Workmen's Compensation Law does not cover him. I don't know what the law of Qatar would do. So perhaps nothing unless local law provided it. Yes, I would, I would feel sure nothing. Would you tell me why you think we need to be concerned about the so-called aid in navigation test as opposed to looking at whether someone is uh, a member of a crew of a vessel and sufficiently attached and doing the mission? What does aid and navigation add to that? Nothing, Your Honor. That is the argument of petitioner. As Judge Robeson noted in, uh, as Judge Wisdom noted in the Robeson opinion, the aid to navigation requirement has been watered down so much that it's really lost its meaning. I think that the mission concept is much more useful and encompasses the changing needs of the maritime industry. We would also refer the court to the Oceanographic Research Vessels Act. Uh, vessels engaged in oceanography, like the paint boat Gates Tide, carried two crews, one a navigational crew and another crew of scientific personnel. By means of the statute, Congress excluded these scientists from seaman status under the Jones Act um, if the ship owner obtained certification from the Coast Guard that the vessel is engaged in oceanography. Now, obviously, this statute would never have been necessary except that Congress recognized these scientists would normally be classified as seamen. I feel that the fourth and clearest indicia of congressional intent came in 1970 and 1971 when Senator John Tower of Texas introduced legislation to extend the benefits of the Longshoremen Act to workers employed offshore in marine extractive operations, 
which the bill defined as basically anything to do with mineral production over navigable waters. The bill would have made such compensation the sole and exclusive remedy, no more Jones Act, no more General Maritime Law, no more Death on the High Seas Act, and it would have amended the Longshoremen's Act to remove the exclusion from member of a crew of a vessel unless that person was engaged solely under the manning requirements set forth by the United States Coast Guard. So this bill would in effect have codified the application of the Seventh Circuit rule in areas where mineral production takes place over navigable waters. Presented with the opportunity to make this change in the law, Congress rejected this bill twice. In 1982, Congress amended the Jones Act to preclude... Did it pass a law rejecting the bill? No, they just voted down the bill, Your Honor. The bill was not passed. Congress amended the Jones Act in 1982, though, to preclude coverage for alien workers engaged in oil and gas operations off the coast of foreign countries. Vasbaralho v. Cadrill, cited in the brief of Amicus American Trial Lawyers, discusses the legislative history of this amendment and concludes that its purpose was to clarify and codify existing conflict of laws rules. The opinion quotes the statement of Senator Long of Louisiana, quote, such a clarification would not affect U.S. workers, no matter where in the world they work, or seamen on blue water vessels, or anyone on the U.S. continental shelf. Our brief also cites the statement of Senator John Bro. The amendment, quote, does maintain the full range of U.S. Jones Act protection American courts currently give to American citizens employed on both traditional merchant marine vessels and special purpose vessels engaged in exploration and development of mineral resources no matter where they are located. As the foregoing clearly indicates, Your Honors, Congress knows how to amend the Jones Act. Congress knows that special purpose vessels engaged in offshore oil production fit the statutory definition of a vessel. Congress knows workers aboard these structures are covered under the Jones Act. Congress has rejected the opportunity to change this status. Congress has made its own policy decision, and this being the case, this court must give effect to the will of Congress. Ms. Bercier, yes, would you help me with exactly what question we have to answer here? Is it a sufficiency of the evidence claim? Apparently, our courts have left the answer to what is a seaman uh, to be determined as a by the trier of fact, in this case a jury. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I would have thought perhaps it was a mixed question of law and fact, but our cases don't talk in those terms, do they? No, ma'am, they certainly don't. And that has been the holding starting with that. That's very difficult for me <laughs> to understand how it could be other than a mixed question. But assuming it's not, what do we answer here? Whether certain elements, evidence is relevant or whether the evidence was sufficient or I th both I to think go to that the jury? What, what the court is required to answer in this case, what I understood we were here for today, is to determine whether or not a worker must contribute to the transportation function of a vessel in order to be a seaman, as he is required to do now in the Seventh Circuit. The Seventh Circuit would not make a bartender or... Well, are we reviewing instructions to the jury then? What are we, what are we looking at here? I think we're reviewing the test used by the Fifth Circuit. 
And so well, what difference does that make if the jury didn't have the test? I, I don't understand what it is we're looking at here. The Fifth Circuit, the jury did have the test used by the Fifth Circuit. That was also the basis of the jury charge. They were charged that if you find that he contributed to the mission of the vessel, he is a seaman. So I think we're trying to find out today if, in fact, that is the law. Uh, Ms. Bercy, uh, are you suggesting that our previous cases say that no matter how little evidence would support a finding of the person being a seaman, that's nonetheless good enough if the jury finds it? No, sir. And in fact, that's what this court addressed in Norton versus the Warner Company, wherein the court stated that although we held in South Chicago versus Bassett that seaman status is almost for the trier of fact, almost always for the trier of fact, in this case we must hold this seaman, this is a seaman as a matter of law. And presumably in some cases, conversely, you could hold that a person was not a seaman as a matter of law. Absolutely, Your Honor. And in any event, the jury is supposed to be accurately instructed about what the law is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I think our question is, were they in this case? And I contend that they were. I think that Petitioner uh, uh, misreads the holding of this court in Herb's Welding versus Gray. This court has never suggested that workers engaged in offshore drilling on a floating or floatable structure were not seamen and or were not engaged in maritime commerce. In fact, this court specifically distinguished between workers aboard fixed platforms and those aboard floatable structures and recognized the vessel status of the latter. Herb's Welding stands for the proposition that all drilling is not traditional maritime activity when it is done on land, since by prior decision of this court, the court was required to treat the fixed platform as equivalent to an artificial island. But in this case, the all drilling and the services related thereto were done from a vessel. The restrictive interpretation of maritime activity espoused by the petitioner was repudiated by this court very recently in the case of Sisson v. Ruby, which declined to hold that only navigation can be characterized as substantially related to traditional maritime activity. I want to clarify one, one point. Yes, sir. You're not contending that this fixed, uh, that this platform was a, a, the drilling platform here was anything other than a fixed platform, are you? That's correct, Your Honor. We are not contending that. And have we ruled that that cannot be a, a vessel? Yes, Your Honor. Rodrigue versus Etna. The court held that that was a, considered the equivalent of an artificial island. Petitioner also urges this court to define the term seaman by reference to the Federal Employees Liability Act. This approach is not new and was specifically rejected by this court in 1952 in the case of case of Desper versus Starved Rock Ferry Company, wherein the court stated, quote, seamen were given the rights of railway employees under the Jones Act, but the definition of seamen was never made dependent on the meaning of employee as used in legislation applicable to railroads. Our brief in that of the amicus discusses at great length prior decisions of this court pertaining to seaman status including Warner, Bassett, Norton, Swanson, Cinco, Gianfalo, Grimes, Butler, and Tipton. Rather than belabor the facts and holdings of each of these cases, we would simply point out that in Gianfalo, Grimes, Cinco, Tipton, and Butler, all of these workers would clearly have failed the Seventh Circuit test for seaman status as a matter of law. None would have made it to the jury. And the, this court held in each of those cases 
that the facts presented a question for the, uh, for the trier fact to decide as to Seaman's status. I feel that to, in reversing the Fifth Circuit, this court would be required to overrule Gianfalo, Grimes, Sip, Cinco, Tipton, and Butler. The decision... If the only alternative is the Seventh Circuit's approach, but as I understand your opponent, Mrs. Doyle, or, or uh, Mrs. Bercier, uh, he is not uh, arguing for that because uh, I think he concedes that bartenders and dance instructors are covered. So therefore, he's, he's not really arguing for the uh, Seventh Circuit's approach. Seventh Circuit is the only alternative. If you, if you want to make a bartender and a dance instructor a seaman, then you have to make a painter a seaman, too, Your Honor. Because the only rationale for making the bartender and the dance instructor seamen is that they contribute to the mission of the vessel. So that would equally apply to Mr. Wielander in this case. You think the Seventh Circuit would uh, consider a bartender a uh, seaman? No, sir. No. Surely don't. It states specifically in their test that they must contribute to the transportation function of the vessel. I feel that the Seventh Circuit rule is impossible to reconcile with the Norton case, wherein Justice Douglas noted navigation is not limited to putting over the helm. The fact that Norton's duties were different from that of a, a more traditional mariner or seaman did not prevent this court from holding he was a seaman as a matter of law. And the court explained, as per Justice Douglas, that the fact that his duties were different was because he was aboard a vessel with a different type of mission or different type of duties. Yes, but isn't it true that Justice Douglas did seem to think it necessary to say he contributed to the navigation function of the vessel? Yes, Your Honor, but he gave the term navigation such a broad meaning because it said it's not limited to steering. It's maybe, limited to all the other purpose of the vessel. Well, maybe so, but he did seem to think navigation was a, an ingredient of the test, and you're really arguing that it's not. We'll resume there at 1 o'clock, Mrs. Bercier. Thank you. Mrs. Berthier, you may resume. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the Court. As I left off, I believe I was answering a question of yours, Mr. Justice Stevens, and I believe that question was, how do I, def how do I define the aid in navigation? I define aid in navigation as being the equal to aiding in the mission of the vessel. Because this court held in, Nav in Norton versus Warner that navigation includes all of the purposes for which the vessel sails. Petitioner's reliance on the dissent in Cinco is of no help to him. In Cinco, the plaintiff was never aboard the vessel while it is in motion. In Gianfalo versus Texas Company, there was a specific finding of fact in the lower court that the worker had no transportation-related duties. Yet this court held that his question, his status was a question of fact for the jury. Wouldn't it be more helpful to everybody um, on that theory if we dropped the reference to navigation entirely? Absolutely, Your Honor. And that's what the Fifth Circuit has done. The inquiry in the Fifth Circuit is not, does he aid in navigation, but does he contribute to the mission of the vessel, its operation, its welfare, and its maintenance? And it's been a workable rule. I would refer the Court, uh, before I sit down, to the statement of Justice Cardoza in this Court's case of Warner versus Goltra. 
Justice Cardozo, holding that the master of a vessel was also included within the coverage of a Jones Act, noted that the term seaman must be defined in light of the mischief to be corrected and the end to be attained. The new measure of recovery under the Jones Act, according to Cardozo, should be the same for everyone aboard the vessel. Curiosity. Uh, what kind of condition is Mr. Wheelander in now? He has some permanent memory loss, Your Honor. He sustained a head injury, has a uh, steel plate in his head. Is he working at all? Sir? Is he working at all? He's working in sales. No longer going to work offshore, where the money was. This court stated in 1958 in Kernan v. American Drudging Company that by passing the Jones Act... Congress did not intend to create a static remedy, but one which would respond to meet the changing conditions and the commensurate responsibility of the maritime industry toward its vessel-based workers. Judge Wisdom noted in Robeson that the absence of any legislative restrictions in the Act enabled the law to develop naturally along with the development of special-purpose vessels. The very real need for uniformity in the maritime law, with which we absolutely agree, mandates a rule which will be workable and which will implement the intent of Congress in every jurisdiction of this nation, not just ones that have only river traffic. The Seventh Circuit rule allows workers to step in and out of coverage depending whether they are performing transportation-related duties. It would inordinately complicate the typical ship owner's necessary insurance arrangements and completely ignore the fact that all aboard the vessel are exposed to the same maritime perils. There is now a maritime negligence cause of action. There is now coverage under the Jones Act for for workers aboard these vessels. The only acceptable conclusion is that seaman status should be accorded to every employee who, like John Wielander, contributes to the economic mission of the vessel. Without John Wielander and his paint crew, the gate's tide never turned a prop because it had no mission at all. Working a ship of 90 straight days on, all of it over water, 80% of the time spent aboard a vessel, John Wielander was the quintessential seaman of the modern age. I'd happy to address any court questions the court might have in my time remaining. Thank you, Ms. Barrett. Thank you, John. Mr. Doyle, do you have rebuttal? I do, may it please the court. Uh, I think it is very important for the court to understand that Mr. Wielander was not, in this case, left without a remedy. And I would specifically refer the court to page 33 of the joint appendix at which the, the clause in the contract dealing with his remedy is reproduced. He had, at a minimum, Louisiana workers' compensation law to apply to any injury that would befall him in the service of his employer. I would also address Justice O'Connor's question earlier as to whether the status determination is a mixed question of law and fact. It is. This has been recognized not by this court, but by the Fifth Circuit and followed in many others. The citation on the case is Crater, C-R-A-D-O-R, versus the Louisiana Department of Highways, 625, Fed 2nd, 1227. And Justice Souter, turning to your comment respecting navigation and dropping that requirement entirely, it points up the problem which I think results in the Robeson test and in the Fifth Circuit and in respondents' argument. And that problem is if you drop a bright line requirement, you're left with no logical stopping point. 
But haven't you dropped the bright line requirement once you start including bartenders and dance instructors? I, I think it seems to me that my question is one about candor rather than a change in the rule. It is. It, it very much is, Justice Souter. But the distinction between the bartender and the dance instructor and Mr. Wieliner is that they indisputably support the vessel in its use as a vessel. They sign on the articles as seamen. They sail as members of the crew. Mr. Wieliner didn't support this vessel. He was supported by it. He used this vessel as a tool to perform his work. And that is the distinction which this court needs to address. Otherwise, as one commentator said, three men in a tub would fit the test for status, and a convincing argument could be made to include Jonah and the whale. There's just no logical end to it. In the Fifth Circuit in 1982... Four judges on a panel of 13 felt that an en banc rehearing should be granted so that the court could have an opportunity to determine whether a helicopter was a vessel and whether its pilot was a member of its crew. And quoted from the, from the decision of, of the court in the Fifth Circuit and other cases in holding that courts of appeals and district courts have extended Robeson to strange sorts of things to find them to be vessels and the injured person to be a seaman. And they specifically cited floating oil drilling platforms, which, when they do their work, are invariably hard aground and not capable of movement at all. Those, but those instances go to what's a vessel, not what's a seaman. I mean, you, you don't doubt that we have a vessel here. Then. Well, I think the inquiry is inextricably tied together. In this case, we're dealing with a 185-foot crew boat, true. But in other cases that have dealt with the same theoretical premise, Justice Scalia, a crane barge, which is a vessel under Title I, Section 3, a quarter boat barge, which is a vessel under Title I, Section 3, have been held not to meet the test for status. One case from the Fourth Circuit, one from the Fifth. So there are circumstances in which a traditional vessel is used for reasons other than the fact that it is a vessel. But aren't you still arguing that if, in effect, that if we get soft in defining who is a seaman, we're going to be asked to be soft in defining what is a vessel? And they're really two separate inquiries. Well, I, I think that's the result which has now been reached. I think that, that if there's a, an argument that can be made by principal jurists that a helicopter is a vessel, the rule is too lax in the Fifth Circuit, and it needs to be shored up. And the, na the navigation requirement applies equally to the vessel as well as the men that are serving upon it. Of course, if the helicopter were a vessel, the pilot would clearly be a seaman. Well, that's right, because he would be serving the mission of the helicopter. But the court ruled that he would. And vice versa, I assume. And vice versa. Um, but not in the same character, of course, as Mr. Wielander, because the helicopter would then also have a transportation function. If, if I understand your point, your point correctly, Mr. Doyle, it is that it that. You, you, you don't go as far as the Seventh Circuit, you, uh, you, but, but you say that to, to be a seaman, you have to be furthering the purpose of the vessel as a vessel. Yes, sir. And your assertion here is that this boat was not being used as a vessel not that it when it just tied alongside to do painting. No, sir. It might, it might be a fine distinction, Justice Scalia, but it is not that the boat was not being used as a vessel. It's that the function that Mr. Wielander served in reference to the vessel had nothing to do with its use as a vessel. Had nothing to do with its use. Weren't there wasn't there machinery on the vessel that aided in the painting? It was carried from platform to platform. Yes, sir, there was. Well, didn't it remain on the vessel? It remained on the vessel during the time that the painting activity was conducted. Yes. So sir. it was a painting. It was a vessel that was used in the painting of these platforms. It was, but and that was the, that was its mission. But in that sense, uh, Justice White, 
the vessel performed no additional function other than the transport of the men and the equipment from one point to the other. Although the vessel had the equipment on it and it stayed on it. Yes, sir. And once it arrived, it's no different from the crane barge, which is a vessel for some purposes, but has been specifically held not only in the Fourth Circuit but the Fifth not to be a vessel for Jones Act purposes. But what you're really saying, I think, then, is that vessel has to mean or has to be defined in terms of what is common to all possible vessels. Isn't that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying that the distinction that's drawn is between the statutory definition of a vessel, which covers a multitude of appliances, and the use to which that appliance is put once it goes to work. All right, so there's a distinction between vessel as such and vessel with a specific purpose in a given case. Jones Act, yes, sir. All right, so if your criterion is going to be what is common to all vessels as such, how can you consistently concede that the bartenders and the dance instructors are seamen? Again, because of their connection to the vessel. I said earlier, and I'll reemphasize, the connection is not only to be determined in light of the navigational function. It can be found for other no, reasons. But aren't you now saying that once you've got a vessel, anyone who is permanently connected with it is a seaman? I think in many cases that is the decision made. Why not in this case? Because he's not permanently attached to the vessel. And one indicia of the fact he that was during the period that he was assigned to use it for the painting duties. Well, but during the, that but time. But the bartender is not attached to it for life. He's, he's attached to it for the voyage. And this, this uh, man was attached to it uh, for the length of, of this boat's voyage, which was to the platform while the work went on. I think, Justice Souter, that with respect, that's not consistent with the way that the law has been applied. What I've tried to do in making the distinction and saying that bartenders and cooks are covered and people such as Mr. Wielander are not is to rely on on this Court's jurisprudence, which I think clearly makes that distinction. And I think Norton versus Warner Company and Cinco are two of the ones that illustrate it most broadly because they were only seamen because they would have a navigational function with respect to that vessel when it was put in transit. Mr. Wielander never had it. So he never achieved status in the first place under that argument. And I might point out that there's nothing uh, that is inherently uh, different about that type of proposition than you find in, in the maritime employment field generally. You can have an offloading operation performed of a vessel on a dock and have three different types of coverage that apply to the workers. The checkers are going to be covered under state compensation, the longshoremen under the LHWCA, and the seamen under the Jones Act, all exposed to the same risk, all doing the same job. But their duties are defined in terms of their employment responsibilities. Mr. Wielander's employment responsibility was to paint platforms. The jury obviously agreed with that because they found he was permanently attached to the platform as well as to the vessel. Uh, On the point about the review, I think it should be pointed out, Justice O'Connor, that the Fifth Circuit specifically ruled that under the Seventh Circuit test, Mr. Wielander would not have submitted sufficient evidence to go to the jury on status, and under Robeson, he did. I think that ends the inquiry. And further, with respect to the the question... uh, Your time has expired, Mr. Doyle. The case is submitted.